Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Desert Tiger Podcast, or to some of our returning listeners, you may refer to it as the DTP. No matter what you refer to the show as, we are here loud and clear. I am your host here on the DTP. My name is Colton G., And today I'm going to be joined by singer-songwriter Sandra Boza, and we're going to be discussing her latest release, Three Years. Of course, before we get into that, and before I play you a couple of tracks off of that latest EP from Sandra Boza, of course I want to go ahead and thank everyone who went and checked out last week's episode, which happened to feature John Angus McDonald, lead guitarist of The Trues. The Trues actually have just been nominated for Canadian Rock Album of the Year over at the Juno Awards, so that is very exciting news. So go ahead and give a nice round of applause to The Trues, last week's guest. I also want to go ahead and thank out everyone who checked out that episode, who gave me some feedback for it, who went and shared it on their social media. You guys are beautiful, wonderful human beings, and thank you so much for enjoying and for tuning in to episode 52. That, of course, makes this episode, yeah, that's right, the one you're listening to right now, that makes this episode 53, and as you probably heard at the top of the show, my guest here on episode 53 is R&B and pop singer Sandra Boza. Sandra Boza has a lot to offer through her music and life experience. On her latest release, an EP entitled Three Years, the Toronto native lets her stories breathe in songs that are deeply personal. Dealing with subject matter like her own addiction and fear of intimacy, Three Years is a testament to Sandra's own recovery from her own addictions and the growth that she experienced while going through that healing process and while spending three years in Morocco playing music. Three Years is not only Sandra's first release after making the decision to recover from her addictions as well as accepting the opportunity to go and play music at a hotel in Morocco, it is also her first musical release since her 2010 album Kingdom on the Run. An album that Sandra admits that the recording process for wasn't exactly beneficial towards her or her artistic vision. This time around, for three years, Sandra enlisted the help of producer Hill Korkakis to help her express over eight years of emotions and growth, and together they ended up crafting something much more powerful. Something that Sandra definitely feels is much more her own. But it's also something that she knows that that 2010 recording session, the recovery from addiction, and the trip from Morocco all played a part in helping create. And we're going to discuss all of that today, of course, starting from where Sandra's love of music originally was born from. So I hope you guys are ready to ride along with the tiger as we get into the story of three years with Sandra Boza. And you guys know that here on the DTP, we like to get your mind set right in the right zone, in the right vibe before we jump into our interview by playing you guys a little bit of tunes, some music if you will. 
So of course we're going to be playing you a couple of tracks off of that powerful EP, Three Years, here today. So let's kick things off with the very energetic, I Want You. I've been thinking I've been trapped in peace for too long. Find myself singing the same song over and over again. I have wasted time before with broken men. I know I Desert Tiger Podcast. 
All right, we are here with Sandra Boza, and how are you in, I'm not sure how it is in Toronto. How is it in Toronto today? It's getting cold. There was a little snow today, but it's it's nice. I, I still love the city, even when it gets cold. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, the cold is kind of hard to avoid in Canada, though, so, I mean, what can you it's do? It's true. Well, for a while, I, I just left Canada when it got cold and came back in the summer. But now I'm I'm back. I'm committed. You're committed to staying and making things work, are you? Mm-hmm. Yep. Bought a winter coat and everything. <laughs> That's the true sign right there. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start off sort of where things begin for a young Sandra. Where does the love of music begin, and where does the pursuit sort of, like, start? Where, Where is the love? The... <laughs> Where is the love? Um, it's one of my favorite songs by Betty Wright. Um, I think that well, not I think it definitely it was definitely my mother. She always had music on. Um, I don't know if you know the Toronto music station uh, 1050 Chum. It was an oldie station for years, and that's all she had on. So we grew up listening to oldies. I didn't know there was actually any other kind of music until like I got to school and learned from other kids. <laughs> So it was always my mom. She played guitar too. She's always playing for us. So we always had music on in the car, and she would she would quiz us about like you know who the band was and what the song was, what the album was. And so we grew up on her record collection too. She had a very healthy record collection. And my father is Spanish, so he that's a totally different side. You know, my mom it was always Canadian, um, kind of the Canadian folk side. So she loves Joni Mitchell and Neil Young, that kind of thing. And on my dad's side, it was the Spanish artists. And um, we're from the north of Spain, so it was Gallego music. So we always had a very healthy amount of music being played in the house. And my sister's a musician, too. She's a singer, an opera singer, or classical singer. Oh, wow. Yeah. So runs in the family, for sure. Yeah, definitely. My grandfather, actually, in Spain, in a very small town in Spain, he was a, a professional trumpet player. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, he played in the orchestra. Huh. <laughs> it's very cool. That's awesome. So, a few mm-hmm. generations here. Yep. Fantastic. Yeah, it's definitely a, a love. Yeah. Okay. So, where does your experience with playing music begin then? Well, I always played. I think I wrote my first song, I think grade grade 5 or 6. Um I can I can still remember it was a terrible song but I can still remember it but that's what I I always wrote music you know I played piano I was always like writing little little songs just for fun and then uh of course you grow up believing that like you can't make a living out of it and so I just I went I loved history and I studied history and I went to Scotland to St Andrews to do my masters in museum studies and while I was there I met a guy on a beach playing the guitar and we started the band <laughs> and then uh I remember the moment that I wanted to, I realized how much it meant to me. I mean, music always meant something to me. I played, I started playing coffee shops in Guelph when I lived in Guelph, Ontario. But the moment that it really became something that I realized I could never, nothing would ever compare, was on stage in Scotland. I was doing a a battle of the bands with a band I was in. And I remember the moment we did, you know, they were all our original songs. And... We had a great crowd reaction, and I remember just that. I remember the exact moment we were playing songs that I'd written the lyrics to, I'd written the melody to. We wrote the song as a band, and playing it to a bunch of people who were loving it. And I remember just wanted to take that moment and bottle it, 
and have it forever. And I just kept playing from then. I, I joined like a 10-piece funk band there. And uh, and then, you know, I finished my master's, but when I came back to Canada, my focus had definitely shifted. So you were less into the history world, and once you had come back, you def- like you had the idea that music was what you wanted to pursue. Yeah, I think for a while I tried to have my foot sort of in both, but it wasn't really, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to straddle. I worked in you know, some museums, I worked in some museum gift shops, but I was always doing music, always doing music. And then eventually I think in Vancouver, I started doing music full time. And then I moved back to Toronto and I, I was still trying to do music. And then uh, one day I was offered a, somebody recommended me for a gig in Morocco mm-hmm. and I started doing music full time in Morocco, six nights a week in Morocco, all over Morocco, different gigs, Spent a month in Senegal too. And that was amazing. So I was doing music like all day, every day. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was great. But I also knew I wasn't doing my own music. So that's when I came back to Canada last year. Yeah. Because I really wanted to do my own music. Okay. When you went to Vancouver, that was when you did your first EP, correct? Yes. Yes. Kingdom on the Run. Okay. Which, um, from what I've read, wasn't exactly your favorite of experiences. Do you care to elaborate on why? Uh, it was just, I was I was young and I didn't really know how to speak up. Um, and it wasn't really what I wanted, you know, but it's it was on me to say what I wanted as well. And I didn't, I wasn't confident. I wasn't in a great place, I think, um, emotionally, mentally, you know. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know how to say, I, I kind of just assumed that I was, I was the inexperienced one, so I should just keep my mouth shut, which was on me. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's 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 also I believe it's so hard in a lot of cases for women in a world an industry that's really ruled by men and dictated mm-hmm. by men. The gatekeepers are men in a lot of cases. When I'd Sadly say something, so. you know, to be yeah, to be kind of shot down or dismissed more than anything. And mm-hmm. I my part in that is allowing that to happen, you know. And I'm trying every day to not let that happen and I hope more women stop letting that happen and I see a lot of incredibly strong women on the scene who are refusing to let that happen so that was you know that was I was young and I allowed myself to be sort of bulldozed I'd say um and it's not I'm not at all you know saying the producer was a a bad person but Mm -hmm. it was um I let my voice be sort of drowned out and it's not that it's a bad sounding EP it's just I knew that it wasn't what I wanted and it was definitely more kind of the Canadiana folk side. But he was he's more of a rock producer. So yeah. that's also on me. I didn't really do my research. I just wanted so badly. I knew I wanted to do music. Somebody recommended this guy. We went in. We did it. It was done, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's, uh, it's nice to be able to have a conversation and to slow it down. I think my advice to myself and to everybody, even now, is to just slow down. I have a tendency to just, like, want things done. You know, I... I I hesitate and I hesitate and I hesitate and then I just make a decision really quickly, an impulsive one. So I think if you can slow down and just stop and think, the pause is really important. I think everybody needs to pause a little more often. I agree. It's it's hard to do so when you're in the moment and you have different voices going on and yeah. like everything yeah. else, but it's sometimes you need to slow down and actually think through like what is healthiest for me at this moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even if, you know, there's always a voice in your head and I think so many of us are, we're not really 
trained in this society to listen to ourselves, to listen to our bodies. You know, everything in this society is about external reinforcement and external validation. And usually there's some voice inside your head, whether it's like a spiritual one or mental one, emotional one, there's something inside like saying something to you. But we're Mm -hmm. so used to drowning it out with whatever addiction, you know, we have, whether it's TV, Netflix, the internet, Facebook, alcohol, drugs, food, there's always something that we use to drown out those mm-hmm. healthier voices. Yes, definitely. Was this a realization that you came to while you were going through your own like sobriety and through your own healing process? Or was this something that you sort of like learned while you were in Morocco and in a different culture? Um, a little bit of both, I'd say, because I... I actually, the first time I went to Morocco, I was only a month sober, which still blows my mind a little bit because I was playing in this, like, party club. Oh, wow. Um, and I, I, yeah, it was like, it was all around me. And uh, the way that they showed appreciation was buying drinks or, you know, but somehow I was in this place safe and protected and I didn't want any of it. I was happy. But so I was still, you know, I mean, I was still a month, so I wasn't, I was still shaky, but um when I started going, I, that was the first contract I did in Morocco was six weeks. And then they liked me and had me back, and I spent pretty much the next three years there. Um, and so over that three years, that's, yeah, I learned to take that pause. And there were places in that culture, you know, there's there are places, it, it's just a little less fast-moving, especially I spent most of my time in Agadir on the south, which is a, like a beach town, mm-hmm. and it's definitely a little slower-moving. And so there's opportunity to just stop. And listen, I I really started meditating a lot over there. It was part of my daily routine, which, I mean, even moving back to Toronto now, it's hard to get that in your routine. Toronto's so fast and everything's moving so quickly. So it was really a gift to be in Morocco where I could have this. You know, I was doing music six nights a week and I was, you know, but I had this routine. So I was doing music, but I was still really focusing on myself. Like there was something really beautiful about that. Definitely, where... You actually have the time to appreciate and figure out who you actually are when for years you've been defining yourself by other people's expectations and thought processes. Yes, expectations are the worst. I still have them, but I, I try to be aware of them. I heard a quote once that was beautiful. Expectations are reservations for future resentments. That just gave me shivers. Wow. Right. Isn't that a great uh, quote? Because it's true. I mean, you we have no control over what will happen. And, I mean, expectations, you know, you can expect something's going to go a certain way, mm-hmm. and it almost never will. It might go better, it might go worse, but it's going to go the way it's supposed to, for better or worse. And if you expect it's going to go this way, and it has to go this way, and it doesn't, then you're going to, you're set up, setting yourself up for a lot of disappointment or resentment. You know? I, but definitely. there's always going to be a lesson in however something goes. I 100% agree with that. It's why worry about the thousand different ways that something could go and then get sad that it didn't go one of those directions when there is many Mm -hmm. lessons to be learned from what's already in front of you. Exactly. And I mean, I'm going to have to remind myself of that lesson tomorrow (laughs) and probably today and the next day and the next day. But it's, it's good to keep reminding yourself. It's good to be cognizant of that lesson, period, you know. Because, I mean, you know, uh, you sometimes have to learn a lesson 800 times before it sinks in, right? 
Well, and that's what they say, is it takes, like, 21 days or 28 days to form a habit, and that's yeah, right. just a habit. So it's like, if you've been beating yourself up mentally for years, that's a habit that you not mm-hmm. only have to break, but then create that new habit as well. So it's I oh, definitely yeah. understand telling it and reinforcing it to yourself over and over again so that it becomes your actual mentality. Yeah, it's hard. I mean again like in this society we're so used to comparing ourselves to others especially with this social media you know there's there's so many pros to it but the cons are really this like life of comparison mm-hmm. you know you see somebody posting pictures from this trip and this that and, this, and everything looks so colorful and you put a filter on it and their life is great you know like you start thinking why is my life great you know why am I not doing this why am I not doing that but it's not real I mean we we live our life in comparison nowadays we live sort of a fast food life I think everything is like consumed in a fast food way right now Oh, definitely. In in that definitely goes from the content because how many people Instagram and Facebook is on your phone? It's just a constant stream of you just keep swiping your finger up and down, and then mm-hmm. you've got a little bit more shallow apps like Tinder and things where it's just swiping the other directions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Life is about swiping in some direction right now. Yeah. We're going to take a small break from this conversation with Sandra Boza, and you guys can maybe take a quick break from swiping up and down on Instagram or swiping left and right on Tinder. Maybe you guys want to head on over to the Desert Tiger social media pages and give us on a follow. Maybe if you're enjoying this episode as you're listening right now, maybe you guys want to share it on your own social media profiles. Or maybe you guys want to be one of those truly dedicated listeners of the DTP and go ahead and pick yourself up some Desert Tiger merch. Of course, you can contact us on any of those social media platforms and we can go ahead and get that shipped on over to you ASAP. If you want me to call you to thank you for ordering a shirt, I will go ahead and do that. Just throw in your phone number in the messages. Otherwise, I will include a nice handwritten note along with your purchase, your supporting items of the Desert Tiger podcast because I will be so very thankful and I will let you know in a as neatly as I possibly can and a written note just for you. Shirts are $20. We are working on getting some little wristbands. We have some stickers. I'm working on getting some hats with that classic traditional Desert Tiger logo as well. I think that is going to look super crisp. So keep your guys' eyes open for that one. Okay, let's get back into our conversation with Sandra Boza here. We still have a lot to discuss when it comes to her latest album, Three Years. And of course, we're going to be playing you another track off of Three Years right here, right now. And Sandra Boza wants to know, where have you been? It's not the trouble that I'm on. I've been gone too many years to notice the time Still, a reputation will present itself Sometimes White lightning on the countertop Spilling over to the floor Watching you wake Oh, on the very same spot Where I swear I must have died a thousand times before 
music writing were you actually doing while you were in Morocco itself? I was still writing a lot. Um, it was definitely a little bit, I don't want to say harder, but there were some times that, you know, when you've do, been doing music, you know, you're learning other people's songs during the day. I loved taking requests because I loved people that would come into the hotel and say, oh, do you know this song? They're like, ah, I can learn it. I love that. But, you know, so you spend your day learning songs and then playing other people's songs at night. So then the last thing you want to do when you go back to your room and you have a day off is play more music. But um, at the same time, my head space was music, and so I wanted to use that. And while everything in my system was, like, musical, you know, I was turned on to that frequency, mm-hmm. so I wanted to use that. So I did I did end up writing a lot. Also, one of the guys that I worked with, um, Kevin Cummings, he's from Brooklyn, and we got paired on a duo in Agadir, and he was hands down my favorite duo partner because we used to write on the spot all the time. Like, if I just needed to get something out of my system, 
he would play something, I would sing something. And, you know, half the time, like, on my SoundCloud, I have a couple songs that we wrote, like, literally on the spot. And I'm so proud of them because we just had sort of a musical connection. And so we ended up writing a lot that way. A couple songs on my next album, which I'll be doing in March, April, um, are songs that we did like that. So there was a lot of, there's still a lot of musical creation, especially when I was working with him. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And it's good to have other people around to help inspire that, especially like you said, when you're playing different songs six nights a week. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. I loved playing those songs. I mean, I love, I love playing covers. It's just, it's so, especially when you're in a duo situation, because then you can really make them your own. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I loved sinking my teeth into singing like some phenomenal singers like Adele, Aretha Franklin, Celine Dion, Whitney Houston. Like they were, and then some people would give us like these really interesting requests. Like we got a request for Iggy Pop. <laughs> and so we did this like lounge version of Passenger by Iggy Pop and it was awesome. We got a request for Radiohead. It was super cool. I love doing stuff like that. Definitely where you got to put not only like your own like spin on it from like your own vocal standpoint but where you can actually mm-hmm. like change it and make it more of a lounge song when Iggy Pop is definitely not lounge music in most cases. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it was a it was a nice challenge. Actually, this guy kept throwing us songs. I remember this this particular hotel guest. I think he was just trying to like stump us. <laughs> <laughs> which of course, you tell me I can't do something and I'm going to work twice as hard to try to prove you wrong. Well, which is exactly the mentality that you want to have about that, too. Where mm-hmm. it's, oh, oh you, <laughs> yeah. you don't think that I can turn this punk legend into a lounge music? <laughs> yeah, which well, actually was really funny. One day we were doing this, like, kind of, we, I mean, we were, the, like, the hotel musicians. And so if there was an event mm-hmm. in the hotel, we would often get, like, uh, moved from the, the hotel lounge into the event room if yeah. they wanted musicians. And with one time we were playing this really kind of she-she event. And these people, we were just like background music, you know, which sometimes you are and you got used to that. Although sometimes my ego found that hard to hard to bear. But we were playing this event and nobody was paying attention to us. And I was like, you know what? Nobody's listening. Let's do some Iggy Pop. And we did Iggy Pop. And that was the only song that got us an applause. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought that was hilarious. Like, you guys don't even know what we just hit you with. <laughs> Yeah, no, but it it caught their attention, though, which is Mm -hmm, mm. exactly what it was supposed to do. Yeah. All right, so let's get back into the return to Canada and the more creation of your own music now. Right. So where does the decision come that you finally want to return to Toronto and that you want to dedicate yourself towards your own music? Um, well, I had, like I said, I've been writing, I've been writing for years, prolifically, I'd, mm-hmm. I'd say. Um, I just, I love writing. Um, and, you know, I mean, of the, I don't know, I've probably written hundreds of songs, and I probably only actually held on to, you know, a dozen, well, more than a dozen. But I just, I really realized that this is something, I had something to say. And these songs meant a lot to me. You know, there's some songs, I, I don't like the concept of growing out of songs. I think that they were important at that time for where I was and what I was going through. And I, I think, um, I think there's a, there's a lot of songs I wrote years ago. They're really important to me. And in some cases, I don't even know what they were about until now. I realized, you know, what was going on in that time in my life. Cause I was a big stream of consciousness writer. I loved writing lyrics like that. 
so these songs really they still mean a lot to me and I was about to go back to Morocco actually last uh, November and then I had a family um, something happened my family had to stay for a few more months and I was supposed to go back again in January and then by January I, I realized that I just I needed to honor these songs and it wasn't about you know getting them it wasn't about being famous or um, anything like that. It was just honoring the songs. And that was an expectation I had to let go of because years ago I wanted to record because I wanted notoriety. I wanted to be known. I wanted to be respected. But now I think that my focus has shifted. Um, although, you know what, you work hard, you, you obviously you want to be respected. But my focus has shifted from that to the songs. I want to honor the songs as much as I can and get them down, get them out of my system, basically. Like I listened to, I just did a, a night a tribute to Alanis Morissette. We did all of Jagged Little Pill. It was oh, awesome. nice. And I was listening to her. It was such a great kick. I love that album more than ever. But I was listening to her talk about You Ought to Know. And she said, I didn't write that song as revenge. I wrote it to get it out of my system because I didn't want it to make me sick. Those feelings I had if I held on to them, which is such a healthy mentality. Mm-hmm. I wanted, you know, it's, it's such a healthy mentality. I needed to get it out so that I wouldn't get sick. And um, I feel the same about these songs. I want to get them out of my system. I want to, and I want to honor them. I want to do them the way that, you know, I, I don't want to try to control them too much because I can get really nitpicky. Mm-hmm. But I want to just let them breathe a little bit. And so I think that that was my my focus. And I had met with my producer Hill Kirkudis, and we had um, we had talked about working together when I came back to Canada in May. And then again, because of uh, my impulsive nature, I decided I wanted to stay. So I called her in a panic, and I was like, "Are you available now?" And she's like, "No, not not yet." <laughs> she wasn't expecting that we would work together until May. So she managed to squeeze me in in February, and, and we got out three songs. So that's how that happened. Again, it was a little bit like impulsive, but also something that had been brewing in my system for years. Okay, so are these songs that you had written while you were in Morocco that you brought back with you then? A few of them. Uh, One of them I wrote years ago. Where Have You Been? I wrote about, well, I wrote it in Vancouver. Um, Hotel Door I wrote back in Toronto. And I Want You I wrote in Morocco. Hmm. So it's it's definitely a wide range of places. (laughs) So the album, or the EP, being named Three Years is about your three years of sobriety, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So then all three of these songs sort of show different parts of yourself during your addiction slash your sobriety? Yeah, yeah, they're sort of part of all that journey. Like, Where Have You Been? That's the first track, and that was, like, that was a really... I still get emotional when I listen to those words, because that was in a dark, dark place. Well, it's very powerful. Um, where have you been was thank you um where have you been was directed to god as i understood um as i understood a god i believed that i'd been abandoned i believed that the relationship i was in at the time was really unhealthy and i believed that my partner had been abandoned you know he'd been through a lot of terrible stuff so i thought like you know where the hell is this god that's supposedly you know looking out for us that supposedly cares about us i thought you know i've been i've been trying i've been i've been doing my work what I thought at the time was work and you know where are you (laughs) where is where is this supposed supreme being cares about us so much I was really bitter Mm -hmm. and I think for a period of time I believed I was an atheist but it wasn't atheism because I was just so angry um now I'm now I'm in a really good spiritual place like I, I 
And I'm not religious, so to speak, but I do have, I'm very faithful of my own concept of a higher power, you know? Yeah, where you have, you don't really like subscribe to anyone <laughs> else's thing, but you have a strong belief of what your own ideas are. Yeah, I, I kind of think it's, I mean, everybody has their own thing. Um, if you find comfort in a religion, then that's good because it's mm-hmm. spiritual comfort. That's what it's supposed to be about. But I think it's a little bit um, problematic to dictate how somebody else can communicate with a higher power. Mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest problem is that we're so busy saying, no, no, you're wrong. It's like this, that we should be admiring each other's ability to grasp a concept of spirituality. There should be more like marveling at each dynamic human's ability to have a spiritual connection rather than, you know, feuding over who's right and who's wrong. It's illogical to me. <laughs> oh, I I completely agree with that sentiment. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people do. And I, I believe I, Unfortunately, that, a lot don't. <laughs> I believe that the uh, contingent of people that do is starting to grow, which makes me happier. Although it is mm-hmm. being fought in a lot of avenues. Yeah, you know, it's, it, I guess you see it on both sides. And and I always think, you know, sometimes, some days I'm really optimistic, some days I'm pessimistic. But mm-hmm. um, on days that I'm pessimistic, I think when you see that it's growing, it's because you surround yourself with people who think like you, right? Those yes. are my pessimistic days, though. <laughs> <laughs> my optimistic days, I like to see, no, it is changing, <laughs> Agreed, and definitely, it's you. You can't always be on top of everything all the time. No, you can't. Mm-hmm. All right. So, what? Take me through the other two tracks on three years here. So the next one is "I Want You," and mm-hmm. that it is a little bit about drugs and alcohol, but it's also about unhealthy relationships, and a lot of those are connected to drugs and alcohol. So. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, bad decisions. But not just bad decisions when you're, you know, when you're drunk or high. I mean, it's also bad decisions when you're in that headspace. You know, any addict I've ever known has insecurity issues. I mean, so many humans have insecurity issues, and we all have addictions. I believe that we all have addictions in some way, unless you've done a lot of spiritual work, um, whether it's, you know, the Internet, money, uh, attention. Like, there's, you know, narcissism. I mean, so it's just that bad habits like I want you is is about things that you shouldn't want but you do and you're drawn in and you know that you should you know red flags pop up all over the place Um, again whether it's wanting an unhealthy relationship or a drink or a drug it's just something that you you want but you know you shouldn't you don't want to want it that I wrote that song in in 15 minutes (laughs) I was I was mad I was really mad about something, and I went up to my room. I was in Casablanca, and I I just I wrote it all a cappella, mm-hmm. and I just sang, I sang the, the sort of um, well you can hear it. There's like a bass harmony going on that kind of dictates the melody. And I sang that, and then I sang the lyrics over it, and I brought it to Hill, and she turned it into something awesome. Oh, I I love the beginning of that song. Actually, it's very very funky, and I <laughs> love you. the start of it. It's awesome. Thank you very much. I really dig that song. I love. Um, Hill actually helped me with the bridge, and the bridge is one of my favorite parts. And there's a guitar riff in there that I I love, and I I kept making her like turn it up more and more and more because there's just a couple notes that she plays that are so cool. 
she really helped me make these songs something cool. It sounds like you had a much better experience in the <laughs> studio this time. I did, yeah. And uh, I really wanted to work with a female producer. And uh, again, I put something out to the universe and, and Hill just popped up in my periphery and we talked. And it was great because even if, like, there are times that I'm still not quite sure what to say, but she could always sense if I wasn't digging something, you know, because she'd, she'd look over at me and I would just kind of be going, uh, and she'd say, okay, what is it? <laughs> and she'd pull it out of me. Mm-hmm. So she was great. And, and I felt comfortable saying I liked something or didn't like something. Or, there was no, and she also knew how to get me out of my head. She would make me do jumping jacks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I was really, like, overanalyzing something, she'd tell me to do jumping jacks to, like, get me out of my, my head. Fantastic. Well, it's good to have somebody that is capable of doing that and knows how to do that. Yeah, yeah, she was great. All right, so we are Um, coming very close on our time here. So if we can do a quick run of Hotel Door, and then I will let you go, if that's okay. Sure, yeah. Um, Hotel Door, I wrote that one uh, when I first moved back to Toronto, I guess about five years ago. That was a... that one's about fear of intimacy. I was, it was about, there was just one time I was with someone and it was, well, for lack of a better description, it was a one night thing. And I remember I felt a pang of something. Um, I don't know what it was, but it was a pang of something. Like I wanted something more, not with this person necessarily, but just something more. And I was terrified at that. I didn't want it. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. I wanted to just leave it there, forget about it. And so the whole song basically just says exactly that. And anybody who wanted to tell me that I should have more or I should settle down, like, I just didn't want to hear it. You know, I would tell you to go. Well, I'll tell you where to go. And <laughs> so it's just about said. a fear of, fear of intimacy. Yeah. <laughs> it was just a fear of intimacy. I was so afraid of anything real. Um, mm. I just wanted something that could satisfy me in that moment. And so it, nothing was real. Okay. Well... Thank you so, so very much for taking the time to share this part of your journey with you. I'm sure once you get back into the studio and get writing again that I will want to talk with you and catch up with you about everything that you're getting up to at that point. I look forward to it. Thank you for seeking me out. It's been great talking to you. It's been amazing talking to you as well. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day and rest of your 2018, Sandra. You too as well. Thanks a lot, Colton. Thank you. And alas, it is that time again that we come to the end of another journey through the jungle here on the Desert Tiger Podcast. I'm starting to have, like, way too much fun with those lines. But regardless... I need to give a big thank you to Sandra Boza for joining us here on this episode of the podcast. And of course, before I thank you, the listeners, I want to go ahead and take a moment to congratulate those former guests of the podcast who have recently been nominated for Juno Awards. Of course, like I said earlier at the beginning of the show, the True's latest album, Civilionaires, has been nominated for Best Rock Album. And of course, former guest on episode 19, The Sheepdogs, were also nominated for this award. And a guest that I'm going to have on the show in the next month was 
also nominated for that Best Rock Award. That's right, Desert Tiger. Three out of five. Considering, like, how hype I was when I got the Sheepdogs and they were my first Juno Award winner slash nominee, that was crazy for me alone as a podcaster. Now to know that I've gotten, like, three out of five of the Rock category, that's crazy. I also want to go ahead and shout out Sue Foley, who was about, I believe, episode 33. Sue has been nominated over in the blues category for her album, The Ice Queen. You can hear all about The Ice Queen in my conversation with Sue in the backlog. You guys can also hear tons, 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 tons of great interviews with future award winners, I am sure. We work with so many talented, amazing people here on the podcast, and I hope that you guys enjoy them just as much as I do. And with that, I want to go ahead and thank you guys, the listeners here at the Desert Tiger Podcast, because once again, you guys know that without you, I wouldn't be able to do this every single week if you guys weren't giving me the love, if you guys weren't rating and reviewing the show, if you guys weren't constantly sharing the shows on your social media platforms sharing the episodes and your stories, your Twitter, whatever it is that you use. You guys are killer at helping me grow the show. Without you guys, I don't think we would have grown nearly as much as we have in this last year. So let's keep it going. I know that some of you guys want me to have guests like Logic on the show. You guys want me to get like really, really, really big musicians on this show. And if you guys want help me, help you get big musicians on the show. We help each other. The Desert Tiger community is freaking amazing. I love you guys so much for it, for everything that you do. Of course, those of you guys who have gone ahead and grabbed yourself a shirt, thank you so freaking much from the bottom of my heart. Really, thank all of you from the bottom of my heart. And one last thing before I let you guys go. I just want to remind you that expectations is setting reservations for resentments. Have a beautiful day.